So today we are going to finish 1 John. I'm excited about that. It's been 14, 15 weeks, something like that, five chapters, and it's been good. There are things in 1 John I had no idea were in there until we got started. (laughs) And it has been a joy, and I have loved it, absolutely loved it. So today we study... Chapter 5, verses 14 through 21 is, is on page 1,125 if you are using a blue Bible. Next week, we're going to spend one week in Romans 12, verses 9 through 21. It's going to be a very special day. And uh, that's going to be a standalone message. And then the week after that, we're going to be start a new series that's going to go till sometime around the end of the year, I believe. So this is our plan for the next few weeks. Be sure to read Romans 12 uh, during the week and come prepared next week to share what God has shown you and bring any questions that you may have. One thing that I'll say before we read these verses, sometimes it seems like there's contradictions in the Bible. And sometimes the biblical writers throw in new ideas that you haven't seen at all in this letter. And then all of a sudden they show up in strange places. So let's wrestle with the new idea. Let's try to figure out what John means by this when someone like Paul might use the same words but have a different meaning. Uh, There's a lot to explore here. So I'm going to read from verses 14 through 21, and then we will read silently to ourselves and after a few minutes begin our discussion. Verse 14. And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask, and God will give him life. To those who commit sins that do not lead to death, There is sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who was born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And we know that the Son of God has come, And has given us understanding, so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true, in his son Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Let's read silently to ourselves for a few minutes. When the time is right, your table leader will begin the discussion. I love that. We know that God's children do not make a practice of sinning. For God's Son holds them securely, and the evil one cannot touch them. And we get into verse 19, the last we know statement. We know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And when you look at 18 and 19 together, it becomes so clear that God protects us people from the devil. But the world that does not know God lies in the devil's grip. They lie in his power. 
2 Corinthians 4, 4, it says that the God of this world, Satan, has blinded the minds of the unbeliever to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. Paul elsewhere says that unbelievers were ensnared by the devil and they've been held captive to do whatever he wants. Before we became Christians, the devil had us. And we were enslaved to sin and the devil was perfectly okay with that. But God broke that grip, brought us into his family. And now we belong to God. And in verse 20, John summarizes the entire work of God from the beginning until the end. Verse 20, we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know Him who is true. I believe that's speaking of the Father. And we are in Him who is true, in His Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. We know that the Son of God has come. That's what the first few verses of 1 John was about. He was saying, we've heard these things, we've seen these things with our eyes, we've touched these things with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest or revealed and we have seen it and we testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. First three verses of 1 John. The Son of God has come. And that's where John started. Verse 20, he says, The Son of God has come and given us understanding. Paul tells us in Ephesians 4 that... um, Before we were Christians, we were darkened in our understanding. But the anointing of the Holy Spirit that we saw in 1 John 2 changed us. See, in 1 John 2.20, our understanding is no longer darkened, but we've been anointed by the Holy Spirit. And because of that, we have knowledge. You know things now that you didn't know when you were an unbeliever and your understanding was darkened. 1 John 2.27 says, As His anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in Him. And this is the point. I mean, isn't that a great summary statement? (laughs) You know, he just kind of summed it all up. And this is the point where if Paul was writing this letter, he'd have this beautiful doxology giving praise to God. Praise be to him who was and is and is to come or something like that. Or he'd have some really sweet, really kind farewell message. Or, but he, John doesn't do that. He brings up idolatry. This is the first time he's mentioned idolatry. All right, five chapters... And idolatry is nowhere to be found except for the last word. So now I've got to preach a whole other sermon in that. We've got to put 30 more minutes on this, right? No. Maybe five. But all of a sudden, John brings in this new idea. And is this idea of idolatry connected to everything else? Absolutely. But it does seem odd. <laughs> it seems odd. But you know what? He was being inspired by the Holy Spirit. He can do whatever he wants to when the Holy Spirit's leading him, right? This is from God. Even this last verse is from God. Little children, we've heard that before. Keep yourselves from idols. What is an idol? An idol is a copy. It is a... There's there's some Old Testament references that 
that relate to an idol being a phantom. A phantom is not real. You know, yeah, you can show me a picture of, of, of your girlfriend, but she's not real to me. That picture is not her. It's not the real thing. Idols have to do with something not being real. Idols are dumb. They are mute. They are silent. Idols can do nothing for you. Jeremiah chapter 10, he writes that images are false. And there's a lot of different kinds of idols. And in many places in the world, and for most of human history, idols have been little things that are made, or sometimes big giant things that are made. And we bow down and worship it. I just, something's not right about worshiping something that I make. Why am I going to worship something that needs me? Why am I going to worship something that I have to take care of? Who's greater? Me or the thing I take care of? Yes. So why is me, who is greater, going to bow down to the little thing that I have made? See, sin gets all this backwards, and we think that makes sense when we are in sin. And for the people in Ephesus, in this day and age, for John, there were idols and temples everywhere. Some of them are still standing. I was inside. I mean, three walls are down, but one's standing. Okay? So I was there. I saw it. Acts chapter 18, Acts chapter 19 says a ton about it. The, 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 peop- the world that the people that were reading this for the first time. Idols aren't real. They're fake. And we have idols today. We don't carry them around in our pocket. We don't, for the most part, some of us do, but for the most part, we don't, you know, have a little room devoted to a little statue. But instead, good old Americans, we have our cars. And we think that car is going to satisfy us. Or when we're single, we think if I can just, you know, if she and I can just connect, then I'm going to have everything I need. For some of us, we bow down and we worship food. <laughs> you know, and we think, if I don't have that food, I'm going to die. And we, we're just thinking for an hour. <laughs> I mean, that's true for a few weeks. <laughs> yeah, you need food. But we think that food is going to satisfy our every longing, but it doesn't. We can make an idol out of a Mountain Dew. Our cigarettes, our alcohol, illegal drugs, these things can be idols. And while I will say about cigarettes that I don't think we can look in the Bible and say that they're sinful, I do think in 90% plus of the cases, those things are the idol. We can't handle something, so we turn to it. And we grab hold of it, and it brings us relief. But how long does that satisfy? It doesn't do it for us. It doesn't do it for us. Some of us, we idolize people and we think if we can just have their approval, everything's going to be good. I want to be like him, so if I can be a part of his group, if I can be a part of that clique, if I could just sit at that table, and this is even possible here on Sunday mornings, if I could just be at that table with those people, if I can be in with them and they accept me, then I'm good. 
and I'm cool. And teenagers, this is this was extra real in my life when I was a teenager, but it still functions in my head sometimes. But so when we finally get in with that group, when we finally get in with that crowd, we think we have everything we need. But as soon as that crowd no longer makes us look cool, we're done with it. And that's how idolatry works. It satisfies for a time. But it's temporary. That idol is not made to satisfy you. The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Really cool group of Presbyterians said that 400 years ago. The chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. You can do that with God, but you can't do that with an idol because there's nothing to enjoy. There's nothing to enjoy. These things that we think we have to have, let go. Deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow Him. I believe that John, with this last warning, is wrapping up everything that he's written so far. We aren't going to be able to go into 2 John and 3 John. But in 2 John and 3 John, if you read the next two books of the Bible, what you're going to see is that everything he said in 1 John, he just applies to specific people that he knows very, very well. And they're much more intimate letters where he's writing to people much that he's much closer to. 1 John is for a general audience. Go on today, read 2 John and 3 John. And you'll see these things apply to just a few people that he knows very, very well. Some he loves and some are antichrists. And he calls them out by name. Here, here, here's my desire as we close out First John. My desire is that you will be so confident in the God who keeps you. When you feel like the whole world is going to fall apart, the last thing you need to do is get your act together. You need to fix your eyes on the one who is protecting you. You need to place your trust in the one who keeps you. And you need to know that if you were born of God, he will never let you go. You need to know that the very fact that you've been following Jesus as long as you have is primarily because of the work of his Holy Spirit in you. And any success we have in the Christian life, any obedience that we have to God, is primarily due to Him. That doesn't mean we don't have a part or a role to play. But perseverance is God's business. And when you say yes to Him, you will persevere. Let's pray. God, would you grant